Surah Al-Safat 22, Allah says, There's a number of other verses that relate to this where Allah prohibits dhulm and oppression. Because dhulm in Arabic is to put something outside of its rightful place, which is an injustice. So, in other words, those verses are saying the same thing about justice. Right? Dhulm is an injustice. It's the opposite of adl. Okay? So those verses also relate, and Allah has mentioned this multiple times, Surah Ibrahim, verse 42. Do not think that Allah is heedless and doesn't know regarding what the oppressors do, what the unjust do. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina amma ba'd So we're looking at this verse of Surah An-Nisa uh, we did the first section of it yesterday um, Surah An-Nisa verse uh, 58 Inna Allah ya'murukum an tu'addu al-amanati ila ahliha wa idha hakamtum bayna al-nasi an tahkumu bil-adl Inna Allah ni'imma ya'idhukum bih Inna Allah kana sami'an basira so Alhamdulillah, yesterday we looked at the first section of that about the trusts and uh, today we're going to look at uh, the second part which is about judgment that when you judge, Allah says, when you make a judgment right, between people, you judge with justice and fairness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, this is such a beautiful thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, admonishes you by and exhorts you with and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all hearing and all seeing. Now you might think, I'm not a judge, this does not refer to me, okay? A lot of people might think, we're not judges, like we're not in some judiciary or whatever, we, never, you know, we don't do judgments. No, this actually is not just talking about the judiciary, right? Although that definitely relates here. It's talking about whenever you have to make a decision between people, between things, a decision of whether this is right or that is wrong, right? This is right, that is right, he's right, she's right, or he's wrong, she's wrong, that that all relates here. Again, this verse is a lot more broader than you know we would assume maybe by looking at it. So, firstly, uh, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention the judgment aspect about fairness in judgment after the amana aspect? Right? So, uh, what's interesting here is that when you fulfill a right of someone, then that is amana. Okay? And a judgment right a judgment to make a judgment about what is the truth so fulfilling a truth fulfilling a right which is uh, which is the trust right obviously comes first then there's a discussion about making a judgment because that's going to probably happen much less as you saw how broad the trust aspect was so that's why it's the second part that's mentioned here that uh, you need to uh, make the right judgment about things and this could all tie in with the trust as well, that make the right judgment about giving and fulfilling your trust as well. It's amazing how it, con it, it actually complements the first part, the, 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 uh, it complements the first part of the verse, which is talking about fulfilling the trust. That if you're fair, you're going to fulfill the trust as well, right? Because you've judged correctly, subhanAllah. So that's the beautiful way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions two judgments, but also makes the second judgment complementary to the first one. That's part of the beautiful rhetoric uh, of, the, of the Qur'an, okay? Um, this is obviously an emphasis on fairness and justice. That is what is underscored here. 
This is why the ulama of our Islam, our Muslim scholars, right, throughout the centuries have pretty much agreed upon the fact that any judge who's been made a judge has to judge with fairness. I mean, you can't judge with unfairness. There's no such concept in Islam of that. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says this, that if you're ever going to judge between people, make sure you do it with fairness. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nahl, uh, in multiple verses in the Quran, Allah speaks about justice. Inna Allah ya'muru bil adli wal ihsan. Allah commands instructs uh, fairness and goodness to people, treating people well. Allah says in Surah Al-An'am, again in verse 152, that was, uh, that was verse 90, now it's 52. And when you speak, when you declare something, then be fair about it, even if it's against your own family members against your very, very close ones. That is where it gets the most tough because there's so much, so much network and pressures there. Right? Anas radiallahu anhu uh, relates a hadith, right? That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, لا تزال هذه الأمة بخير ما إذا قالت صدقت وإذا حكمت عدلت وإذا استرحمت رحمت May Allah make us of these people. This ummah, right? Groups of this ummah, this ummah will always remain in goodness, in a good state, as long as when they speak, they tell the truth. When they make a judgment, they are fair. And when, they're asked, when they are asked for mercy, then they deal with mercy. They express mercy. When, when mercy is needed somewhere, they're compassionate. That's one hadith. Hassan uh, al-Basi, rahimahullah, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed and he's going to be taking to task any kind of judge or ruler or manager, three things, that they should not pursue their desires, right, and do wrong. Number two, they should, they should fear Allah and they should not fear people in their judgment. Of course, you have to be a bit strategic about it, but you can't do it wrong, okay? And number three, they should not purchase small amounts of meager worldly wealth for the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? By misreading them and misinterpreting uh, them. Uh, another verse, Surah Al-Safat 22, Allah says, There's a number of other verses that relate to this where Allah prohibits dhulm and oppression. Because dhulm in Arabic is to put something outside of its rightful place, which is an injustice. So, in other words, those verses are saying the same thing about justice, right? Dhulm is an injustice. It's the opposite of adl, okay? So those verses also relate, and Allah has mentioned this multiple times, Surah Ibrahim, verse 42. Do not think that Allah is heedless and doesn't know regarding what the oppressors do, what the unjust do. Uh, another verse in Surah Al-Naml, verse 52, Allah says, فَتِلْكَ بُيُوتُهُمْ خَاوِيَةً بِمَا ظَلَمُوا Look, those are their houses, those are their abodes, they're totally desolate now, because they're oppressed. So in here, uh, Allah is implying, telling us indirectly, that because of their oppression, they eventually lost everything that they had. And usually, a lot of the time, when a person is oppressive, it's for a worldly gain. Right? It's for a manfa'atul dunya, it's for a worldly gain. But Allah is telling us in this verse very uh, beautifully right, and excellently, eloquently, that what you're hoping to get out of this, you're not going to get. If you're oppressive, 
if you're unjust, if you misapply something, then you're not going to get much out of it. Because eventually what you're trying to get of the dunya is going to be desolate for you. And that's why Allah then uh, carries in Surah Al-Qasas, verse 57, Allah says, لَمْ تُسْكَمْ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا وَكُنَّا نَحْنُ الْوَارِثِينَ That they didn't manage to stay there for too long. We were the final inheritors of it. So you're not going to benefit from it. Now, uh, I'm just going to highlight to you a few things which is, uh, I find very, very interesting and I think it will help us to understand how far Islam's instruction of justice goes. Okay? Now, this is the directives of a judge. The directives for a judge. When a, when a judge is sitting there, and if we ever have to judge in any case, right? And of course, this is probably referring to the more official kind of stance of a judge and position of a judge and that whole judicial procedure. However, we can definitely take benefit from this. Imam Shafi'i says, That it is necessary for a judge to totally equate and be fair, totally equate between the two opposing parties that come to him for a judgment, right? In three things, he must be totally equal. First one, the way he allows them to enter. So one can come from like a, a private entrance and another one has to come from the public entrance, for example, right? That in itself also already shows disadvantage that, oh, you can come to my house first and come in, you know, through the private chamber, for example. Number two, the way you sit them in front of you. You can't have one sitting next to you and then the other one in front of you and ten, or one on the side and one in front of you, right? Something like that. You need to equate between it. And number three, you must pay attention and turn your attention and focus towards both of them in the same way. So you can't give a smile to one and be angry with the other one, right? Uh, like that, unless, of course, you need to be angry, right? Then you can be angry on both. And the way you listen to them. Right? You listen to one with a lot of patience and the other one you're kind of you know, prompting and pushing along and so on. And then of course in your judgment against them. He says, he clarifies that, look, sometimes it may be that while you're in that judgment, you realize, you realize that this guy seems to be on the correct, uh, this guy seems to be on the correct idea, uh, uh, cor correct uh, position. However, you can't judge based on that, uh, just by that. Uh, he says it's okay even if you like wanted him to win because you see that he's the oppressed one. But however, openly, you can't discuss any of these things. Like, you can't. So he says that if your heart does incline towards one of them and you want him to uh, win, essentially through his evidence though, right? Through his evidence on the other one, that's okay inside, right? Because there's, you, you can't really abstain from that, you know, to take sides internally in the sense that, yeah, he sounds right. Not for ulterior motives though, only based on the, you know, the situation that you see them in. However, you're not allowed, for example, to tell any of them, hey, you could say this. This could be your argument. Sorry, this could be your proof, right? You, in fact, you should not even, um, you're not even allowed to uh, prompt one of the witnesses to say something in a particular way that would be, uh, you know, where he was saying it another way and you wanted to make it more beneficial for one, you're not even allowed to do that because it may be harmful and it may not be what the shahid actually even means and he might just copy what you say and he might actually be wrong and, and, and so on, right? So you can't do anything that would bias any of them, right? Subhanallah. You can't also host one of them for a cup of tea beforehand or after that because that's going to make the other one feel bad as well. 
right? And that in itself is, even if it was that this person that you hosted was correct, it might be your friend, but at that time you have to be very, very pretty. We've got many stories about the Prophet and the Sahaba doing exactly this, right? Uh, likewise, you're not even allowed, you should not even uh, accept the invitation of somebody. I met uh, in, in, in India, there's a few states where they have a very, very solid uh, qada system, right? A judge, uh, a judicial system. So I've been to their headquarters in Patna, right, which is in the capital of Bihar. And then they sent me to, I think it was Manir Sharif, where I met with one of the uh, court judges, really nice man. So I asked him, I said, how do you deal, because I've read in the books that, how do you deal with people's gifts? He goes, well, in this area, it's very poor, no, nobody gives me gifts anyway, right? There is no gift system. So a judge should not be accepting gifts. Uh, our, our jurists say that he can only accept gifts from people that were already giving him gifts. Now, if they start giving him more gifts afterwards, then he should refuse that, because that all means that you uh, you know that that means that you might have to incline towards them that's why uh, one has to be very very careful and uh, the final part which actually relates to both of yes you know the previous session and this session is allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what wonderful uh, advice this is for you what wonderful exhortation that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, is giving you here and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all hearing and all the seeing all seeing why is that very relevant here all hearing all seeing because he knows exactly and he can hear exactly what you guys are saying whether that be in your heart whether that be in you know private to somebody else because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything so when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in these verses has commanded a person to be just and to fulfill their trust. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah kana sami'an basira. He is basically saying that when you uh, give a judgment uh, with justice, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will hear your judgment. Will hear your judgment. And when you give back a trust, when you repay a trust, Allah is seeing that you're repaying it. So, sama' The, the Allah being all listening is related to the judgment and all seeing is related to giving back a trust because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everything and essentially it's leading us to the, the what is encapsulated in the famous hadith of Jibreel so Allah is telling us here that worship him as though you see him so if you're fulfilling your trust then observe and be conscious of the fact that Allah is watching you give back your trust. What happens nowadays when somebody gives back their trust is that they mess people around. They, they, are, they are very humble when they go to ask somebody for a loan, for example. right? However, when it comes time, once you've got the money, you suddenly feel on top of the world and you suddenly feel like you're in control of it and it's your money. So when the person comes back to ask for money, you keep uh, delaying them. You say, oh, come tomorrow, come tomorrow. Or then if they had given you in big notes, you're going to give them in like pennies, right? And make them uh, go hassle uh, to the bank or whatever. Or for example, you're going to send him to someone who owes you money, but he's not giving you money. You're going to try to get him to become a, you know, a debt collector from that person and you know, bang his head with him. Or um, you're going to uh, cause other issues, right? And that's not husnul ada. That's not good. So be conscious that Allah is all listening and all hearing. And I don't know, it's kind of strange that when you need a loan from someone, you, when you need a loan from somebody, that's when you uh, are very humble. And then when you get it, then you become arrogant. And then sometimes people even say um, that the guy's got enough money, why does he need this uh, money back so quickly? Right? Subhanallah. Uh, a loan, a loan, right? Is such a, a kind of a debt that the person, even if he promises you that I'll come, 
I'll give it to you for two years. He can literally come back the next day because it's a voluntary act. He can ask for it the next day. This is very different to, for example, if I sell you something and I've sold it to you on the basis that you can pay me in a week. I can't demand it the next day or in three days. I have to wait a week. Of course, I can request it, but I can't demand it because that's part of the deal. Right? And we, you, we, we did an exchange and it was part of that exchange. Whereas when I take a loan from you, like when I take a loan from you, then although you give me two years to pay, you could technically ask back tomorrow and it'd be your right to do so. And in my best ability, I should be able to, I should try to give it back to you. Okay? So, uh, of course, you shouldn't be giving and then, you know, trying to ask the next day again because you're just going to hassle. But you might run into trouble. Like, you might need it. So you might say, look, I, I know I gave it to you for two years, but please, I need it. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. I shouldn't feel bad about that. So there you go. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to become trustworthy individuals and allow, allow us to be just individuals as well in this regard, especially, you know, in, in our matters so that we can um, uh, contribute to a fairer world. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially for example the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials certificate which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.